so much of you know financial planning and everything is all about solving problems right it's mm-hmm. kind of like financial engineering so you know your kids going to college and you're trying to figure out okay how do i finance the housing well maybe instead of paying for huge rates that the university is offering maybe we could actually buy a little multifamily right a triplex or something they could get some kids to rent it and then you know my kid learns how to build a business i can depreciate it now i can actually go visit my kid and use it as a tax deduction because i'm going to see my asset and we've got depreciation and boom you've got like a multiplier right so it's all about kind of creative problem solving for some of those financial scenarios that you're thinking about. And it really requires having a growth mindset to look at things differently. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Grateful to be here, connect with you and your audience. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the typical questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Well, I would have to say vanilla gelato. Yeah, we were chatting right before this. It it sounds like you have another home over in Italy. And I was going to say, if you didn't say uh, gelato, I was going to push you on the fact that gelato actually is a little bit better than ice cream, in my opinion. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And when you have it in Italy, not only does it taste amazing, but you walk away and you don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All the ice cream is one of my favorite desserts, but all the every brand in this country, it's amazing. They just fill stuff with chemicals and preservatives. But in Italy, it's like there's like three or four ingredients. It's really astonishing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because Italian wine and Italian bread also don't make me feel sluggish or weak. And here in America, if I come back, it just tastes like plastic. So yeah, I'm grain free here. But I can yeah. I can eat pizza over there. I can eat like I'm in my 20s and actually feel good about it. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners what's the scoop. What do you do today? Yeah. So Matt, essentially, you know, we're uh, all about really helping entrepreneurs 10x their wealth um, and create unlimited freedom in their life. Awesome. Well, we're gonna dig into how you do that because I found your business super interesting. I've been following you for a while. But before we get into all that, tell our listeners where did your real estate journey begin? Yeah. So for me, probably like. A lot of other listeners out there, right? I followed that conventional wisdom, which was, you know, go to school, get good grades, and you'll get a job. And that was really the recipe for success at the time, right? So I followed down that path. I went to George Washington in DC around the corner from you and did the ROTC program. And shortly thereafter, went into the Marine Corps and had a phenomenal experience, got to travel the world, work with some amazing people. But the Marines taught me a few things that you just don't learn really anywhere else, you know, skills such as leadership, teamwork, and integrity, things that are really so important that you can carry forward. And after that, I actually transitioned into the tech industry, which I know you have some experience in as well, and got into tech. This is really late 90s, started a career, started family as well, and actually had a toddler. And then on October 24th, 2000, my wife and I literally had triplets. I can tell you, Matt, so any listener out there who has a kid or a toddler or a young one, you know, just imagine like quadrupling the size of your family <laughs> overnight. It's something you read about in the newspaper. You know, you watch it in the tabloids and see that's crazy. Well, it happened to us. So the first thing that I did was actually go and see my financial planner. 
because I said, how in the heck am I going to financially provide for my family? I mean, this is my responsibility. I have to do this. And Matt, this is where I got just really frustrated with traditional financial planning advice. They all seem to say the same thing, right? Eh, the S&P is going to average 7% over the long haul. Just make sure you diversify, but that's a really good return. You'll build up this nest egg and then you'll withdraw 4% a year once you hit retirement. And for college savings, do a 529 plan, right? So this really frustrated me so much and propelled me to go on this journey of really figuring out how the top 1% are really building their wealth. Because it was very evident to me at that time that as a retail investor in the stock market, people aren't really building their wealth that way, the top 1%. So after that, I started investing into all kinds of alternative assets. I got into private equity. And remember, this is like early 2000, right? There weren't, I mean, podcasts weren't even a thing. There were very limited resources. So it was all about you know networking and things. But I invested in everything from oil and gas uh, to raw land, multifamily, office, retail, uh, you name it, right? That's That was kind of this, the start of my journey. And then over the years in the tech industry, I also built a tech consulting business and, you know, really learned a lot about taxes, you know, how to scale organizations, build teams. And so fast forward 20 years, and I really encapsulated that 20 years of learning as really an investor and as a business owner in my book called The Holistic Wealth Strategy. And that is really the framework with which we created to, to really create a systematic approach with how to build wealth like the ultra wealthy are doing. It's essentially a playbook for becoming wealthy. So a lot there. First of all, triplets. Oh my gosh, we have two. And man-to-man -man defense at times seems like it's really difficult to do. I can't imagine having to switch that to zone. And now you've got a two-on-one situation every time somebody cries. We, we, we were on zone de defense 100%. And really thank God that I was in the Marine Corps because there was no other way than to figure out that type of evolution. I mean, at the time it was every four hours, you know, we were changing diapers, feeding, it was half an hour per kid. And then, you know, so the, it was almost two hours per evolution, right? So then you're really two hours on deck to go do it again. It was really an insane time, but it's so well worth it. I mean, as anyone knows, you know, you get out of family and kids, you know, what you put into it. And they're, you know, definitely my pride and joy. And it's just been such a privilege to, you know, watch them grow over the years. Got it. Well, so I want to talk a little bit just about the IT business, if we could, just for a second. Yeah. Talk us through that. So you mentioned 2000. Is that when you started the IT business or when did you start the business? Yeah, I was in the industry. And then I think it was about seven years later that I started that. I kind of bounced around. I was I did a lot of like uh, tech consulting, right? So we were essentially doing solutions, everything from ERP solutions to supply chain and things like that. And what I enjoyed about it most, Matt, was just the innovation in mm -hmm. technology space. You know, things are always changing. And I thought of myself, you know, this one of my unique ability skills is really solving problems. So I would love meeting with clients and working out, you know, how can we creatively, you know, come up with some kind of solution to do that. So really enjoyed the tech industry. And then clearly that was the bridge for me after reading Cashflow Quadrant, right? I knew that I had to become a business owner. So that was the transition into the tech industry. And yeah, that's how it all started.
Yeah. And I think there's so many parallels to IT and financial consulting or financial wealth building in the sense of it's an art form. There's no one way to do things. There's always a str- there's always strategies, but there's no one strategy that solves a lot of problems. And that's what kind of bled me into my interest into finances is I knew that I had a target to go hit. Now it's trying to figure out how do I go hit that target? Yeah, for sure. And I really kind of break it down. And and I guess, you know, maybe some of that comes from my consulting background, right? But so much of, you know, financial planning and everything is all about solving problems, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like financial engineering. So, you know, your kid's going to college and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I finance the housing? Well, maybe instead of paying for huge rates that the university is offering, maybe we could actually buy a little multifamily, right? A triplex or something. They could get some kids to rent it. And then, you know, my kid learns how to build a business. I can depreciate it. Now I can actually go visit my kid and use it as a tax deduction because I'm going to see my asset and we've got depreciation and boom, you've got like a multiplier, right? So it's all about kind of creative problem solving for some of those financial scenarios that you're thinking about. And it really requires having a growth mindset to look at things differently. You know, if you don't have a growth mindset, you know, I find that most people are just going to say, well, you know, this is too difficult for me. So I'm going to trust my financial planner. Yep. And to Kiyosaki's point, when most people face an obstacle, they think, oh, I can't do that because of the obstacle. You need to switch your mindset to how can I do that? Not the obstacle itself. Exactly. Or from a 10x mindset, it's going to who can get me to do that, right? When you're growing a business, it's all about creating a team and everything, which is why we've actually created a mastermind and virtual family office where we've, the 20 years I've spent actually building a team with like key members, just top of the top in their space. And now we're trying to share that with investors so that they have that, you know, they can just plug into the power of that team. Great transition point and bridge to our next topic was really about the holistic wealth strategy. So can you talk to us our holistic wealth formula? Can you talk to us a little bit about the formula and we'll we'll just kind of break it down from there? 100% Matt. So, I mean, how many times have you read a great book like, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad or you've been inspired by a podcast or a TED Talk, but you take an idea and then you say, "Okay, how am I going to go implement it?" I mean, like how many people tried to get into single family rentals after they read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and they thought they were going to build their wealth. But it's kind of like, where's the blueprint right, mm-hmm. for this? So part of my unique ability is figuring out like systems and building processes. And it's probably no wonder, again, I was, you know, had a background in process consulting, yeah. right? What I wanted to do was create this framework, right, that could weather all cycles, all different economic cycles could protect your downside. It could position you for upside, but it's really looking at multiple different dimensions about building wealth that really supports underlying. It's all about first creating a vision statement for yourself, right? Because you have a different vision than I do, but first, what you want to do is create that vision. You create a target. If you don't have a target, you're going to miss every time. So getting crystal clear on what that is. And then we walk into five distinct phases, Matt. So the first phase really starts with you and mindset. And so many of us, right, whether we accept it or not, have limiting beliefs from our past, our parents, our neighborhood, our employers, or things like that. 
you might have maybe some scarcity mentality. I mean, I was brought up as a kid that, you know, there's always, there's starving kids in Africa, you know, you better eat everything on your plate and, and all of these things, right. That were just kind of drilled into our heads. And then things like put your money in a 401k and I've got to take that advice from the financial planner because he knows everything. Well, when you start to ask questions, you might say, well, the only thing I'm probably certain about is that taxes will likely go up in the future. So why do I keep deferring my taxes, which means I'm actually going to be paying more in the future? So it really takes a growth mindset to uncover some of these things, Matt. You know, I think that's really the the foundation of this and trying to learn more, ask questions, become a lifelong learner. So mindset is really important. I want to touch on that piece about tax deferral just real quick, because there's a lot of people out there that are true believers in the 401k plan, and that is their plan for the future, their retirement plan. And the thing I try to change people's mind on is if it's between 401k and nothing, I would encourage you to do the 401k just personally. However, if you are deferring taxes, you are basically giving a blank check to the government to change your rules of the game later in life. And if you don't believe that's happened, you can look across many different countries where you thought the rules were one thing. And then when a time came where debt payments were due, interest payments are due and things like that, rules changed. And that's where I'm a little concerned about paying tax later. So first and foremost, if I could pay tax on the seed or the harvest, I'd rather pay it on the seed. Second and foremost, if you're going to have to pay the tax bill and you can't avoid paying the tax bill, you're probably better off paying that tax today rather than deferring it to a future time when you don't know what that tax rate is going to be. How's my thinking there? Anything you would to- add or yeah, adjust there? Totally agree, Matt. So we literally, if, if any of the listeners want this, we actually created a 401k exit calculator. Okay. So if you had a hundred K and that was in your 401k and you paid the 10% penalty and you paid all of the taxes right now, you would have a net investable 65K if you assumed a 35% tax bracket, okay? Now, the interesting thing is you would say, okay, well, when am I going to break even? Well, you'd probably break even at the surface about year four with that. What's fascinating about this exercise is that when you compound this out over a 20-year period, and if I invested, if I compared this versus, say, investing in multifamily syndications or some other private asset, right, which is you've got depreciation to offset the income. So let's say you're compounding at 20%. You can literally, the that amount, that 65,000 would grow to 2.1 million in 20 years. And that same amount net of taxes in 20 years is 260K if you left it in the 401k. Okay. This is why we have a crisis in America, Matt. And I went through this exercise myself about 10 years ago, trying to say, Hey, I'm really bought into investing in private assets, but does it really make sense? Everyone around me is telling them I'm crazy. I'm wrong. So I did the math, you know, and I did the math and I made some assumptions that I was comfortable with. And I three times my money in a matter of four or five years easily. And I've never looked back. Yeah. And standard disclaimer there that you didn't go out and buy a Ferrari with that money, right? So if you're going to take that money and pay the tax and then go buy something fancy or buy a new house or something like that, probably not the best strategy. But if you're wise and disciplined about how you place that and continue to invest it, the results can be phenomenal. Yeah. This plan, Matt, this, this is not for everyone. Right. This is people who want to build legacy wealth and create eight to nine figure wealth and really live the life of their dreams with unlimited freedom. 
it's a matter of good, better, best, but it definitely doesn't apply to everyone. Yep. Yep. All right. So we've got our mindset straight. We've got, so you our got your mindset. Statement. Yep. That was, that's phase one. Second phase is once you have that growth mindset, it's starting to get smarter and starting to realize that, Hey, there's different asset classes that I can invest in. I can actually bypass the middleman of Wall Street and invest directly in Main Street and get a better return on a risk-adjusted risk basis. That's pretty interesting, right? Let's also look at some other factors around wealth because, again, this is holistic, right? And I know you'll appreciate this, Matt, right? We talk about improving our health IQ, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a goal this year to see actually how much money I can literally spend on myself. I know LeBron James spends on his health well over a million to a million and a half on his body every year. So if you just kind of think about that proportionately, if you are your greatest asset, how much time and money are you putting into developing that, right? So for me, it's everything. I have a goal to live to 116. So I'm fanatically trying to learn as much as I can about different health protocols and all kinds of things. So we want to understand health and how we can get smarter there. We want to increase our financial IQ and continually you know, break down those barriers that we've learned from the past. And so that really kind of sets the next step to move into phase three. And in phase three, what's really important, and a lot of people, wherever you are in your investing journey, a lot of people have not necessarily created the proper infrastructure around their wealth. Okay. So, and what I mean by that is that we should be looking at your three biggest wealth destroyers as part of the impetus for that infrastructure building. So number one, taxes. Taxes are your hands down biggest expense in life. So what are you doing to mitigate those taxes, right? And 95% of tax planners out there today look at taxes in the rearview mirror and all they're doing is filing your taxes. But if you can actually create a strategy with a proactive planner, you can work very strategically to talk about where you're going to be in the next five years, in the next 20 years, and create particular structures and everything so that you can really maximize your tax efficiency. That's really big. We also talk about infinite banking, which I know you're a fan of. You talked about on your show as well. Such a phenomenal place, right? To do multiple things with your capital, right? You know, you're creating this li liquidity pool, which you have capital reserves to withstand a recession or two. You also have li liquid reserves to have dry powder for when that next great opportunity comes up. You can even pay for kids' college, you know, with that. You can do anything you want with your capital. And by the way, that's compounding completely tax free. You can give it to your heirs tax free and it has inherent asset protection to it. So as we're looking at this infrastructure, all of these things are multipliers, right? We're trying to do multiple things like with one thing. But when I look at a stock, for instance, if I have $1,000 worth of Tesla stock, that's all I have. And I'm only hoping that the market is going to do one thing, which is going to go up, right? Yep. If I told you that I could reduce your taxes by 10% perpetually for the rest of your life, and then we could be doing 20% return in syndications and private investments. You know, now you're looking at a 30% return. And then you add on top of that the infinite banking spread you could get. And you've got a couple of points on top of that. And you're completely insulated, right? So some of these things are really important. And then, of course, you know, legacy planning and estate planning, some of those advanced planning tactics and techniques come into play because 
we not only want to multiply our wealth, but we also want to protect our wealth. Let me say a quick comment on the tax piece, because I've been having a lot of conversations. We're recording this at the beginning of February. A lot, the April 15th is coming up. A lot of people are asking me for tax strategy and tax planning and things like that. And I continue to tell them, you've already missed the bet deadline, right? You need to be thinking about now, what can you do for your 2025 taxes? Not looking at 2023, what can I do for my 2022 taxes? And there's a difference between a CPA who files your taxes and a strategist who helps you plan this. A perfect example that I was reading on the plane this morning is Peter Tile Teal is one of the angel investors in Facebook, and he was one of the founders of PayPal. He was able to put $1,700 in his Roth IRA, which grows tax-free once it's in there because it's taxed before you go in there, pay the tax today, don't worry about it tomorrow. And he's grown that $1,700 to $5 billion all tax-free because he was planning his taxes, not looking in the rearview mirror. So I just want to make sure I highlight there's a difference between your CPA that files your taxes and a tax strategist who helps you think through your tax strategy. Yeah, 100%. So after we move on through creating really that infrastructure, a lot of people might say, okay, you know, that sounds great. Maybe I want to invest and do some things, but they don't really have capital lying around, right? So a key stage there, it's all about asset repositioning. So what does your current portfolio look like? Are you getting a one-dimensional turn, right? Let's really look at things uh, differently from a risk-adjusted you know, basis, right? So the majority of Americans essentially have uh, their net worth tied up in their primary residence and in government-sponsored qualified plans. So the last time I checked, the rate of return on equity in your primary residence was zero, okay? So even at today's interest rates of 6%, there's a great opportunity there to, you know, take out a HELOC, redeploy some of that capital into a conservative, you know, investment that you feel good at. You could use the cash flow to actually service to provide the debt service. You get additional write-off, right, in terms of the interest deduction that you're going to get from the HELOC. And then you've got a really nice arbitrage because if you're doing 20% and you've borrowed 6%, that's quite strong, right? So, so really looking at your existing portfolio, mapping that up with your vision statement, what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to achieve that your passive income exceeds, you know, your expenses? What year do you want to hit that? And really kind of creating that portfolio that kind of maps to that. We already talked about actually exiting the 401k, right? As an option. There's also self-directed IRA options. And it's interesting because I think a lot of this is really, again, it's kind of that case of, you know, when you're in the Home Depot aisle, right? And it says good, better, best, you know, you might be in a good or better position, but you ideally want to be in the best position. And the more you can put all of these things to work, the more these things just really compound and snowball on one another. Yeah. With the repositioning piece, I, I see that a lot with heat locks and home equity specifically. And one of the things I had to make my mindset shift over the past couple of years as the real estate assets have increased dramatically is a cash on cash return and a return on your equity piece. So just to put that simply, if I buy a house for $200,000, it's cash flowing, I don't know, $2,000 a year, that might be a 1% cash on cash return on that. However, if that asset is now 500,000, that $300,000 of equity is not making me any additional money. So if I'm hearing you correctly, we could actually tap into that equity, maybe borrow it at 5, 6% or whatever, go redeploy that into an asset that's earning 10 to 12%, and now I'm not making 5 or 6, I'm making a 100% difference 
on the arbitrage spread and I'm tapping into my return on equity. Yeah, 100%. You know, and we haven't even talked about the additional interest income, right? How much that's going to save you by reducing your taxes, right? So that's why we talk about really kind of thinking about this end to end. You want to be understanding and making decisions on the front end that are impacting you downstream and everything is really tied together to make sense. Great point. Great point. So we've repositioned assets. What's our last one? So the last stage is really building massive passive income. You know, this is the fun one where everyone likes to talk about, you know, different opportunities and really, you know, our overall investment thesis and having invested for, you know, the past 20 years in private assets is that, you know, we're really looking for that trifecta of investments, right? Which is all about providing, you know, tax efficiency, uh, predictable passive income, and having some type of forced appreciation on the back end, right? So whether that's buying into a business, multifamily syndication, an oil and gas syndication, or you know different types of opportunities, we're really looking at those three dimensions because it really does two things. It actually it limits your downside, right? Because you know you've got multiple dimensions to it, and it also exponentially increases your upside on the opportunity. That's it. You were one of the few investors out there talking about oil and gas syndications. And I keep hearing about this a lot as as a tremendous way to write off active income. And I will guess I will preface this with, we are two people on the internet. Don't take advice from us. We're not qualified CPAs, so don't sue us, all that kind of stuff. But where are the benefits you're seeing in oil and gas today? Yeah. So, Matt, I mean, you know, a lot of us have invested in real estate, you know, looking as passive income is a big income stream. And like I said, I've looked at a lot of alternative assets because what we're trying to do is really help investors really grow their portfolios across different asset classes, different markets, different niches, different business models and things like that. So that then you have like a truly diversified income. What's really unique about oil and gas and again, this kind of goes back to solving one of those problems. I mean, we have so many, you know, high income uh, professionals, entrepreneurs, you know, doctors that have high income. So the bonus depreciation, okay, that's only offsetting their passive income. But what's unique about oil and gas is, you know, back from the Reagan era, the tax code actually allows you to offset a hundred percent of your income against your AGI. So. If you're a doctor making, you know, 500k a year and you invest 200k, that's a significant chunk of money right out of the gate that you're going to get from really deducting your taxes, right? So and then again, that's on the active income side. Is that 200k or 100% of your investment? Is that done in year 1 or is that So year uh, 1, I mean, you know, every year is a little bit different depending on how it works. In our fund, we're typically seeing about 80% in year 1. And the remainder would come in the subsequent years. So essentially, if I'm a doctor making 500k a year, I invest 100k in this in this type of investment vehicle. We're seeing roughly eighty thousand dollars that I can then take off of my 500k active income in a tax Correct. benefit. Exactly. Yeah. Is so we also- we literally have people who've exited their 401k and invested heavily into this and offset all of the tax consequences or a significant portion of them. Interesting. And does it also spit off cash flow as well? How does that work in in terms of the return? Yeah. So it's typically a cash flow play investing in oil and gas, right? Because you're drilling for oil and in this case, uh, natural gas as well. Our fund is a 50-50 mix. But as we go down and we drill, 
we bring up the oil and then we're able to sell that and investors receive passive income on a monthly basis, like 60 days after the drill goes in and everyone gets compensated from that. And then what's interesting also about the business model we have, much like in multifamily value add, they will actually sell the assets, bundle some of the assets, the wells together, and then sell them to either a larger producer or like, let's say a pension fund. So you get an equity multiple on the back end. Nice. The downside I've heard about investing in oil gas is that you do have to be on the GP until the capital is deployed. How are you all protecting legal liabilities around that? Great question, Matt. So that is a concern uh, for many investors. And you do sign your subscription documents as a GP, because what that means really is in order to take that active loss, you have to be an active investor as part of it. But what we do to mitigate that is the fund has a $20 million insurance policy for basically anything that could possibly go wrong. Plus each uh, well is further insured by 5 million on top of that. So that's been pretty strong mitigation for that. And then automatically investors will be converted once all of the funds have been deployed into you know drilling and operations, investors then get transitioned back to an LP status. And have you all ever had to file a claim on that insurance piece? No. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I keep hearing about this because as a high income W-2 professional, you're always trying to avoid the tax bill. And unfortunately, you can only take passive losses after $150,000. If you make $150,000, you can only take your passive losses down to zero, your passive income down to zero. But that doesn't help offset W-2. So I'm always looking for creative solutions to offset my W-2 income. Are there any others out there that you're involved in that can help us offset our active income or maybe that you've heard about? There's some other interesting things. You know, we're always kind of looking at that. I mean, one you know, technique, again, that I would encourage people to to be thinking about, especially in this economy and such, is that, again, if you're a business owner, right, you're best situated to get the most, you know, tax efficiency. So even if you are a W-2, maybe there's an opportunity to put your spouse into a business, right? You start getting some of those business deductions, you create alternative sources of revenue. So that's a good opportunity. And then I just want to go back to your other question for a sec, Matt, too, around oil and gas and you know why I think this is such an interesting asset class. Again, it's February 2023 as we record this, just so many major things going on in the world. But I'm actually thinking of oil and gas as really a defensive play, not only offensive, but defensive at the same time right now, because you know, last time I checked, I mean, the demand on a global basis for energy is just only continuing to escalate, right? We literally, you know, there's petroleum-based products and everything from women's lipstick to, you know, the headphones you're wearing, the microphone you have to the clothing you have. I mean, it's literally in everything. Even if you're driving, you know, your electric car down the street, well, was using petroleum to create the roads and create the bridges and the mining to actually get the batteries created, right? The demand, you know, when you look at the macro fundamentals, we always like to invest based upon, you know, macroeconomic conditions and looking at these fundamentals. And energy is at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, right? It's just a fundamental need uh, that we have for everything. And we have a huge, you know, energy crisis, right? Last time you've been to the pump, you know, you basically realized, you know, what's happening in 2022. 
and we're only expecting that to increase. So I think it's a great asset class for people to have some exposure in their portfolio to, especially while, you know, the real estate market with interest rates and, you know, some things that are pretty crazy this year. It's definitely something to take a look at. Yeah. Two great points I want to highlight there is one, energy sits at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if you want to understand how you get tax benefits in our country, the US tax code was written to create jobs to provide food, to provide energy, and to house the population. Those are usually four things. If you can tie yourself to that, that you're going to get an energy or you're going to get some sort of tax benefit from. And then last is when I have these conversations, a lot of people are saying, well, EVs are the next thing and all these regulations and all those sorts of things. But you're right. Plastic isn't everything. The last I checked, we are, we get solar energy cannot replace a plastic bottle. And I know there's some regulations going away from plastic bottles and things like that, but it's an everything we have and do. So good call outs there. Yeah, with the trillions that have been put into the green initiatives over the past decade, it's barely made a dent, like one to two percent out of the demand for energy. Right. Well, Dave, fantastic conversation, but I want to be respectful of your time and transition us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first question is, what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Hmm. A great book is What's In It For Them by Joe Polish that I've read recently. And it's all about really approaching people and serving other people, trying to understand how you can help them wherever that is in life, right? Whether you're at work in a you know networking event or you know, you're out with friends or family, you know, it's always taking the what's in it for them approach first, you know, versus looking at it from what's in it for me. Yeah, I haven't heard about that yet, but I'm going to go check that out. Great message. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have every day? Oh, we could do a whole podcast on this one. I love this. Uh, So look, I know you're into health as well. So I do enjoy espresso in the morning. That's my Italian thing. But I, I get up very early. I exercise very hard, high intensity cycling is pretty much what I do. So I work out probably about two hours a day. I meditate, I do cold plunges, I do sauna, I'm doing red light therapy these days and I journal and I eat well. Yeah. Another thing we have in common, I love espresso. That's my go-to caffeine. Nice. Our third one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? So the best piece of advice I ever had is uh, from my coach, Dan Sullivan, which was, what are the top three dangers that you have in life? What are your top three opportunities that you have? And what are your biggest strengths you have to seize those opportunities? So if we were having this conversation one year from now, what has to happen for you personally and professionally to feel that you've made proper results? That is a great journaling topic right there if you're looking for something to journal on. Our fourth one is, what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I'm most proud of my family and the life that we're creating, right? I believe in the entire lifestyle design, right? Which is why we talk about in our wealth strategy, you know, really getting clear on what that vision statement is, you know, for you. So you can live an amazing life. And it's amazing because again, When you think about kind of the psychology of wealth and what that really means, it's not necessarily the amount of zeros you have in your portfolio, right? It could be the amount of contribution and the amount of impact that you're having with people. And you can do that today. You can do that every day, 
right? It could be creating, you know, more meaningful relationships, right? With, with family or coworkers or team, you know, whatever that is. So why not start working on that today? Why wait for some really negative moment that has to happen? That's what we always read about, right? In these TED Talks or these amazing things that someone has lost a loved one, had a chronic illness or some kind of physical injury for them to have a breakthrough. Why don't you do it from a positive standpoint? Fantastic message uh, right there. Our last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Nice. Well, I'd have to sit down with Elon Musk. I mean, I think he is one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time and would just love to get into his brain and you know how he's thinking about innovation. And yeah. Yeah. Most common answer given on the show so far. Yeah. Well, Dave, fantastic conversation. It's been a great opportunity to sit down and do this interview. I've been following your business for a while. You guys are super impressive and I love what you do. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you or connect with you, where's the best place we could point them? Yeah, sure, Matt. So the best place is just to go to our website, pantheoninvest.com and then forward slash wealth hyphen strategy. And people can download a free ebook version of the holistic wealth strategy. We're actually happy to send you a free copy of the book as well. Or if anyone is interested in that 401k calculator, we're happy to send that on as well. Perfect. We will link all those in the show notes. And then Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome, Matt. Grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.